Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters weekly podcast, where we casually ramble on about important topics, including the markets, the economy, human ingenuity, and almost anything under the sun, giving you the keys to unlock the mysteries of the markets and investing. Today is Friday, March 24th, 2023. I'm your host, Brian Peterangelo, and welcome to the podcast. And with me today, I'd like to introduce our panel of investing experts here to provide their insights on this week's market activity. Steve Haight, Head of Equities, Rajiv Sharma, Head of Fixed Income, and Cindy Honcharenko, Senior Fixed Income Portfolio Manager. As a reminder, a lot of great content is available on key.com slash wealth insights, including updates from our Wealth Institute on many different subjects, and especially our Key Questions article series addressing a relevant topic for investors each Wednesday. In addition, if you have any questions or need more information, please reach out to your financial advisor. Taking a look at this week's economic news, the economic calendar was fairly light. On Thursday, just yesterday, initial unemployment claims came in fairly flat from the prior week, settling in at 191,000 for overall initial unemployment claims for the week. From the perspective, that's still fairly low and good news and that we're not seeing additional unemployment claims from layoffs in the industries. New house sales were up from the report released yesterday as well, but not that significant in terms of what's happening within the overall housing industry. And certainly the lion's share of the news this week came in on Wednesday with the Federal Open Market Committee meeting and their release of their decision to raise the overall federal funds rate by 25 basis points or one quarter of 1% in tune with the consistent level of inflation still remaining above the Fed's target, but also in spite of the fact that over the past 14 days there's been significant disruption in the overall banking industry. So it was a pretty important meeting relative to here from Jay Powell and the FOMC. So let's jump right into it with Cindy Honcharenko. Cindy, what do you hear from what's happening in terms of what the Fed said, what the Fed did, and what expectations are for the near future in terms of monetary policy with regard to the Fed? Cindy? So the policy decision was pretty much as expected. Uh, the Fed hiked 25 basis points. It did not make any changes to its balance sheet policy. They also did not provide any concrete evidence or forward guidance regarding the stresses in the banking system. In terms of the statement, there were some changes and some were quite significant. Here are the items that stood out for me. The committee is still upbeat about the labor market. They noted that job gains have picked up in recent months and are running at a robust pace. In terms of stresses in the banking system, of course, they added a few sentences there. The main takeaway is that the banking system is sound and resilient, but the shock will probably lead to some credit tightening. And then their conclusion is that the extent of these effects is still uncertain, and that uncertainty is pretty important. Probably the most important of these takeaways is the change in wording regarding policy changes. They said some additional policy firming may be appropriate as opposed to the previous wording that ongoing increases in the target range will be appropriate. Chair Powell was asked about this and he essentially said, yes, this does mean that we expect to probably hike a little bit less because there's been some financial tightening from the stress event, which he estimated could be worth one to two rate hikes. Although he did say there's a lot of uncertainty around that estimate. Moving on to the summary of economic projections, what stood out to me was one, how little things changed. Uh, two, in terms of the dot plot, the median terminal 2023 dot remained at 5.125%. 
the 2024 median dot edged up by half of a hike. And that's not because that was a big change, but because Governor Brainerd had dropped out uh, from what it appears, even though the dots aren't named. And finally, in 2025, the median dot remained at 3.125%. So those are the dots. Uh, GDP got marked down a little bit for 2023 and then more significantly for 2024. And I think that's an indication that the Fed is a little bit concerned about the potential for credit tightening from the banking stress. The unemployment rate got marked down just a little bit for 2023. And that's probably mark to market for what's happening in the labor market. And then similarly, inflation got marked to market up for 2023. So overall, if you look at just the macroeconomic backdrop, and forget about what's happening in the banking sector. This does suggest more hikes are appropriate. And that's essentially the challenge for the Fed. The underlying macroeconomic backdrop still looks fairly strong, but they are concerned about this imminent credit tightening and what they could do to the what it could do to the macroeconomic outlook going forward. So the bottom line here is policy remains in a fully data-dependent mode. And the views on the terminal rate or the year-end target are largely a function of the underlying economic projections. The markets are assuming that the regional banking stress is going to drag down economic activities significantly and clearly does not believe that the Fed is going to have to raise rates much more, if at all. And according to the SEP dots, all but one Fed policymaker is expected to raise rates at least one more time and several see rates going even higher. The Fed needs to see more tangible evidence that inflation is heading lower before they back off. And with that uh, terminal rate uh, staying at 5.125%, it sure looks like the Fed is planning at least another 25 basis points before they pause. Well, that's very interesting, Cindy. I mean, you know, one of the things that I, I constantly look at is this, this dislocation between what the Fed is saying and what the market expectations are. Uh, as you noted that uh, the Fed is indicating no rate cuts for the rest of this year or for this year. And uh, Fed Chair Powell gave his testimony to Congress March 7th. And he at that time talked about 50 basis points were on the table. And the market took that messaging. They took it as a hawkish one back then. They started increasing their idea of where the terminal rate will be. They made it much higher than the expectations were before. And then the banking crisis started, as you mentioned, and uh, and then everything changed. And then uh, I think the market was starting to think that maybe the Fed wouldn't do anything and kind of uh, focus on financial stability. Uh, but we saw that 25 basis point rate hike uh, this week. Uh, and you also see that the Fed expects the terminal Fed funds rate to end the year around 5.6%. The market, however, expects the, um, the terminal rate to end around 4.1%. And so there is a big dislocation there between what the market is expecting and what the Fed is saying. That dislocation leads to more volatility. We've seen it, we've seen this picture before. Uh, we saw it about a month ago where there was a big dislocation and you play chicken with the Fed and you generally lose uh, because the Fed generally, it's hard to beat the Fed. So it's gonna be very important. I think one of the other things we should focus on is the Fed speak that we're gonna start hearing now. We've already started it today. There's going to be more Fed members that are gonna be coming out and talking about uh, what they need to do to combat inflation. And uh, with that kind of speak, I think the market can also be susceptible to some more volatility. 
But is the tightening cycle coming to an end? I think many people are calling this the late in the ninth inning type of game for the Fed and for monetary policy. Um, if we focus on the May meeting, uh, there is a probability right now of a 25 base point rate hike. Uh, it's around a 60% uh, chance right now and a 40% chance of no hike. So that's very interesting to see. And I'm gonna keep on looking at that. Yesterday, it was the flip of that. We saw a 40% odd of a 25% uh, 25 basis point rate hike and 60% no change. So you can see how quickly these probabilities change, but it's gonna be important to keep an eye on that. Um, and I also think that uh, one of the other things that uh, is important to keep an eye on is how the yield curve is behaving with uh, this kind of uh, Fed action. If you look at the Fed, right after the Fed meeting, right after the presser, the two-year saw their yields drop 22 basis points, and the 10-year saw their yield drop 17 basis points. In other words, the yield curve steepened after the, uh, the press conference. And uh, we expect some of that steepening was already happening with the banking crisis, with the flight to quality. Two-year yields are gonna be very important to look at. Now they're below 4%. Uh, it's amazing right now that you look at the yield curve and there's not a single U.S. Treasury that's over 5%. You couldn't say that a week ago. The highest yield right now is on a six-month Treasury bill around 4.7%. So it's important to keep looking at this and how the yield curve gets steeper. Uh, also, the twos, tens uh, remains inverted, uh, but steeper also. So I'm going to keep an eye on that. What are you seeing in the markets right now, Steve? Well, I think it, my takeaway from the Fed meeting was uh, was two words. Want to bet? Because if the if the Fed thinks that they're going to be able to hike, the market's saying you want to bet you're going to hike, because the two-year yield today is at 370 on my Bloomberg screen, which is 130 basis points below where the Fed funds target rate is right now. I mean, it's almost unprecedented to have a gap like this between two-year yields and Fed funds. So, I mean, at the very least, the markets the market knows they're going to pause. And then the real question is, are you going to get the cuts before the end of the year or not? I mean, there are some market participants who actually are thinking that you're going to get a cut in June. I think the Fed's really going to push back on that. But, you know, everything's dependent on market conditions. And, you know, this this business that we've had in, in Europe and Switzerland over the last couple of weeks has, I, th I think, really kind of uh, maybe change the game even more so than what the the situation with some of the you know tech and and crypto banks here in the U.S. has over the last few weeks. Um, the, the 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 banks in Europe in particular, I mean, it's they're they're in the front pages of the press. So you know, to say Credit Suisse, I don't think is is going out of bounds on the call. Um, you know that that they have had um, significant. Uh, derivatives exposure that that goes throughout the entire banking system in Europe. They have different ways of marking things to market in Europe than we do in the United States. The rules are different there. Um, so there there are potential systemic issues over there that I think are, are giving um, regulators and market participants pause. And we see another uh, another European bank in the news again today. Um, so, you know, I think that we're, I think all of us are on, on watch regarding, you know, potential contagion from that. And, and, you know, the markets are kind of smelling out the idea that the, the tightening cycle is done. You know, I've, I've said it before and, you know, I've, I'll, I'll say it again when almost every single tightening cycle bodies float to the surface. And when the bodies float to the surface, the tightening cycle is over. And I think irrespective of what chair Powell might want to try to do. 
uh, regarding inflation, his tightening cycle this cycle is over for now. Um, now, that may have impact implications, obviously, from a policy perspective, because it implies that they're going to have to accept a higher inflation rate than what uh, they have in the past. But I think that some of the goings on here over the last few weeks give them potentially the political cover to make the, the change to say that, you know, 3% is the new 2% or something like that. But we'll have to wait and see. You know, and when you look at what the markets have done this week, I mean, we've kind of marked time a little bit. We've come back to to the 200-day moving average right now on the S&P 500. We're kind of hanging in there. Tape's been a bit mixed, but we've continued to see tech leadership. We've really seen a huge amount of uh, gravitating back to the the high-end growth stocks um, as a place to hide out uh, in the midst of turmoil. I think it's caught some people by surprise. Um, but you know the the Nasdaq 100 continues to to perform really well relative to the S&P 500. Um, and then when I kind of go inside the market and look at sectors and industry groups for leadership, I mean semiconductors continue to power ahead. So you know it's a really kind of a mixed picture regarding you know what the economic outlook kind of stuff is because you've got these early cycle names like semiconductors doing really well. You see home builders continuing to do really well. I mean, what's the message from that? Well, it's telling you that the the, I mean, the forward-looking folks are looking and because uh, that's what home building is. It's a, a sector that moves early. Um, they're telling you that rates are going to come down at some point in the not too distant future. That's what the 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 builders are telling you. So, you know, I think that we'll we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, but the market still feels fairly firm, especially given all the stuff that's been thrown at it over the last two or three weeks. Steve, I thought your comment on inflation was very warranted. And if you actually look at the summary of economic projections that were just released in comparison to last quarter in December, they actually marked up core PCE inflation from 3.5% to 3.6%, insinuating that there might still be a battle to fight in terms of the inflation front. So we'll continue to watch that. Very interesting. But let's let's pivot real quick. There's a couple of terms that our listeners might be hearing in the news or reading in the paper that they might not understand. So I thought for a moment, Rajiv, and then maybe Steve, you could chime in. Help our help our uh, listeners understand what AT1 bonds are and what cocoa bonds cocoa bonds are in terms of what's happening overseas. Uh, very good question, Brian. Um, AT1 bonds have been in the news, uh, the headlines. Uh, they are short for additional tier one bonds. Uh, what they really are are bank bonds that are considered uh, relatively risky forms of junior debt. So they come in at a very high yield, and I think that's why they get attention from a lot of uh, investors because you get extra yield, but yes, they are junior debt. So they're often bought by institutional investors. They're also referred to as cocoa bonds or continued convertibles. So cocoa's AT1, you've been seeing this in the news. The reason you've been seeing in the news is because something really unprecedented happened. Uh, AT1 bonds were written down to zero. They were wiped out completely uh, with the uh, deal between Credit Suisse and UBS. Uh, this is very unusual. It's prompting investors who are looking at AT1s or invested in AT1s to start to worry about whether they're going to be wiped out if something like that were to happen in the future. Uh, you see European regulators, these are big in Europe, you see a lot of European regulators coming out and saying that this is an isolated case. They're trying to have some calm in the market. We did see AT1s sell off. We saw some of the um, the some of that overflow went into the high yield market because of the yields on the AT1s. Uh, but uh, there's been a little bit of reassurance out there again that AT1s will be okay in other scenarios, but uh, this was very unusual for them being wiped out over equity holders. 
mean, Brian, the way that I would describe this for our listeners is they're 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 akin to catastrophe bonds that have been sold by the European banks. Uh, with the catastrophe being the 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 banks failing themselves, as opposed to like insurance companies selling hurricane bonds or things like this. So you know that's the 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 thing, and and the 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 interesting thing is that there's the difference in the rules between all of the European AT1 bonds and the Swiss AT1 bonds. The Swiss AT1 bonds allowed the AT1 bonds to be wiped out while equity could have some value while the rest of the European bonds do not have that provision. So equity would have to go to zero before the bonds could be wiped out. And I think that that really, the, the distinction between those two things and the fact that maybe some investors didn't read the prospectus all the way through um, caught some people really off guard with what happened in Switzerland. Well, thank you for the conversation today, Steve, Rajiv, and Cindy. We certainly appreciate your insights given the significance of this week's FOMC meeting. And thanks to our listeners for joining us today. Be sure to subscribe to the Key Wealth Matters podcast through your favorite podcast app. And as always, past performance is no guarantee of future results, and we know your financial situation is personal to you. So reach out to your relationship manager, portfolio strategist, or financial advisor for more information, and we'll catch up with you next week to see how the world and the markets have changed and provide those keys to help you achieve your financial success. The Key Wealth Matters podcast is produced by the Key Wealth Institute. The Key Wealth Institute is comprised of financial professionals representing key entities, including key private bank, key bank institutional advisors, key private client, and key investment services. Any opinions, projections, or recommendations contained herein are subject to change without notice and are not intended as individual investment advice. This material is presented for informational purposes only and should not be construed as individual tax or financial advice. Bank and trust products are provided by Key Bank National Association, a member of FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. Key Private Bank and Key Bank Institutional Advisors are part of Key Bank. Investment products, brokerage, and investment advisory services are offered through Key Investment Services, LLC, or KISS, a member of FINRA, SIPC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Insurance products are offered through Key Corp Insurance Agency, USA Incorporated, or KIA. KISS and KIA are affiliated with Key Bank. Investments in insurance products are not FDIC insured, not being guaranteed, may lose value, not a deposit, not insured by any federal or state government agency. eBank and its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult their personal tax advisor before making any tax-related investment decisions. This content is copyrighted by KeyCorp 2023.